scriptures. We're going to start with 1 John, start reading with uh, chapter 2 and uh, verses, well, I don't know how far we'll get. I'd like to get actually into chapter 3 a little bit. I might, I might bypass a portion so I can bring up one verse in chapter 3 that really needs to be set in the context of chapter 2. I think, well, let me say this. I have, over the years, uh, always felt um, a little uncomfortable with particularly chapters, uh, the, well, particularly chapter 3 and 4 of 1 John. Uh, because it deals with the Christian experience from uh, a standpoint that assumes that we are abiding in Christ. You see, I happen to know that the verses, some verses in chapter 3, for example, chapter 3, verse 6 says this, Whosoever abides in him does not sin. Whosoever sins has not seen him, neither known him. Well, uh, that, uh, if, if we just take that at face value and not understand the context uh, in which John is couching uh, that statement and a number of others, we could believe that sanctification, that is being, being becoming experientially righteous, whereby we, we walk entirely apart from sin without ever failing, that we could become uh, those, one of those uh, people who uh, teach what is called eradication of sin. That means that, and, I, and I've known a number of people in holiness groups, and I like the word holiness, but normally, if you talk about a holiness group, it, you will find the doctrine that they teach is that Christians uh, do, do not sin, and if they sin, they get lost. And when they sin and get lost, then they have to get saved again. Um, and they would use uh, a number of verses in First John to teach that. Uh, not understanding that the idea of eradication of sin where whereas uh, we as we walk through this world and we live in these bodies 
our bodies are fallen, there is sin in the flesh, and there will be times when we fail to believe God, we step out of the Spirit, and we live life our own way. And that is sin. Even, even if there's not an overt sin, but just walking apart from faith is sin. And it says so in the book of Romans. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And so, uh, one way of l looking at salvation is that it brings us to a place where we never sin. And that is contrary to the whole teaching of Scripture. And it is contrary to what John, uh, if we are led by the Spirit to understand, it is contrary to what John is teaching here in 1 John. And I always had some difficulty with that. And I feel, uh, having been through it uh, uh, multiple times, that uh, I am I'm very comfortable that I know what John's trying to tell us. Uh, and I want to be able to communicate that to you today. It is, uh, it is something that requires a considerable amount of cross-referencing and uh, consideration of other scriptures. Um, so uh, my apprehension is that I will find it difficult to get through. So let's get right into it, and let's have a word of prayer together. Father, as, um, as we come together um, before you, and we say to you, Lord God, we, we must uh, approach your word in the same way we approach our lives every day that we must approach it uh, in faith, whereby the operation of the Holy Ghost that lives within us uh, is, is brought to bear on our soul so that we say, yes, Lord, I understand, I comprehend, and therefore, Lord, uh, being of full understanding, we can then uh, rightly gauge uh, how in our walk we are either pleasing you or that we are possibly failing to give you glory in our walk. And that is, Lord, our greatest aim, that by our lives, even though we are up against uh, two major enemies that is uh, Satan in this world uh, and sin in the flesh and there are, there are other uh, degrees of uh, difficulty in the Christian experience Lord but those two areas are, are most uh, difficult uh, 
and sin in the flesh, in my opinion, Lord, is 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 our greatest enemy. And so we we must understand what is the potential that you have made available to us by your Holy Ghost, whereby we might be able to place ourselves, uh, engage ourselves regarding the scripture in 1 John, and therefore at the end of it say, I know, uh, these things have been written, and I know because of them I have eternal life. And so bless this word to each of us today and glorify yourself, for we are dependent upon you. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, let me just uh, read. I'm also going to play uh, a song for us. But let me just read uh, verses 18 through 29 of First John uh, chapter 2. And then we'll go from there. Verse 18, chapter 2, 1 John. Little children. Uh, again, that word is babes. Uh, little children, it is the last time as you have heard that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, uh, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no longer, or no doubt, have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Basically, by the way, that's a little wordy. Basically, that just basically says that uh, those apostates that might pop up uh, or come out of the woodwork somewhere in our fellowships of believers that uh, the reason they leave is that they are not one of us. Uh, and that, that applies to the whole lot of them. Uh, apostates here is an anomalous to uh, what Titus refers to as a heretic. And that is one who is stubborn and willful and one who uh, because of that sows false doctrine in the body and uh, is a uh, is really uh, working by the spirit of Antichrist verse 20 but you have an unction that is anointing that's what that word means you have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things uh, I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar, but that he uh, that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? Or that would be Jesus is the Messiah. He, whoever believes that or says that, is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever 
denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Um, just as a note, uh, one of the things that John and Paul and all the disciples in that age were dealing with uh, basically had to do with uh, number one, what is the nature and what is the truth of who Jesus Christ is? Uh, and in in their day, as in ours, uh, there is uh, great confusion regarding uh, who Christ is. Uh, for example, uh, one of the most notable false teachers that is a TV evangelist today teaches that, uh, this is Kenneth Copeland, teaches that uh, Jesus Christ uh, had to be saved, that Jesus Christ was not God come in the flesh, and that when he died, he actually went to hell and had to pay for his sins, and then was born again and came back uh, to live in this world. Uh, now, what a heresy that is. Uh, and this is from people that are worth millions and millions of dollars, and uh, have... Uh, hundreds of thousands of followers in the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, those folks are antichrists. Uh, but in John's time, there were the Gnostics who basically, uh, Gnosticism today is taught in Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, Mormonism, uh, which basically teaches that uh, in creation, there exists a whole hierarchy of spiritual beings, of which Christ was one, uh, but that he was not God, as we think of him. They, they look at, at uh, all spiritual beings as a type of God or demagogue. And so, again, uh, a number of the televangelists teach that we are God that are, in another facet, they teach that God is to be found in the depth of your being. So you look inside, you meditate, and you will find God, and then he uh, will guide your life. But Gnosticism is basically, the word means uh, uh, superior knowledge, and... Uh, uh, the most, the closest uh, example of Gnosticism in our midst is the Mormon Church, and they are Gnostics beyond imagination. Uh, they won't tell. I mean, they won't tell you what they really believe. They masquerade as Christians, and they are not Christians. They are Antichrist, and. That whole idea of the hierarchy of spiritual beings and as it related to the very person of Jesus Christ has been a false teaching that has been with us since the time uh, of, of Christ himself.
It's still here, and it's still alive and well in the earth. Um, and it is a false teaching that many are being uh, seduced because they, number one, probably don't have the spirit, and number two, uh, they don't have any reputable teaching. All right. Um, so whosoever denies the Son, uh, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledges the Son hath the Father also. So we remember that Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Uh, more than that, this was all, by the way, said in the book of John, or Gospel of John, that uh, um, before Abraham was, Christ said, I'm quoting, before Abraham was, I am. And uh, the Jews got really excited about that, and not in a good way. Uh, they wanted to kill him. And this is probably the principal reason why Jesus Christ was crucified, because he claimed to be God, and he claimed to be on the same level of existence as the Father himself. Uh, and so Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And then he said, if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So these are not peripheral doctrines. This is central to Christianity. And understanding the truth about the very person of Christ is integral with what we believe. For we cannot be saved by a lesser being. We have been saved by the Son of God who uh, is a member, an equal member of the, of the, the triune Godhead. All right. So, verse 24, this is for John 2. Let that therefore abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. Uh, the word abide, we're going to use it a number of times today. You need to know what it means. It means to to remain in. The word is meno in Greek. It means to, to be in, or to remain, and to, to find a place of shelter and a place of rest. And so uh, I use Miss Betty's favorite verse uh, that, that says, Whosoever, or he that uh, dwelleth, in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the sh under the shadow of the Almighty, and and that's the idea that we are placed in Christ, but to make that our experience, it is one thing that that is your position, but sanctification or walking in a way that pleases God involves more than having been placed in Christ positionally, but it means that we, uh, by faith, take that position, and that in that position, uh, in the reality of it, that we really are in Christ, and therefore through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, that we abide in him, and that's where we will be found to do his will. And that there is nothing done that ever 
pleases God. In fact, for a Christian, not to be abiding in Christ. That means not to be walking in faith. And that, that means when you get up in the morning or you lay your head down on the, on the pillow at night and everything in between, or if you wake up in the middle of the night, we are to abide in Christ. It is a way that we, uh, we draw upon that anointing of the Holy Ghost whereby we walk, talk, and think and behave like Christ in the very uh, simple and natural way. It simply is a matter of the work of God in our life because we are his workmanship. The work of God in our life that comes because we believe what God said. And what he said was, is that I have been put into Christ and Christ is in me, and that, that if I am going to experience the righteousness that is in me, and that I am in, that righteousness uh, is going to flow from my fellowship and my communion with that Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. And when you really begin to think about this, this is all-encompassing for our life. And there's nothing different about what's going to be said today. I'm going to I hope to have time to prove that this is this is exactly what we have learned throughout all the epistles of Paul, particularly that abiding in Christ is is all that Paul taught regarding walking in the Spirit, regarding walking according to the the the, the Spirit of. of um, the law of the spirit of life, it's all the same. Uh, and I hope you'll be able to see today that walking according to the mind's understanding of what God's rules are is something totally different from abiding in Christ. Abiding in Christ is simply the natural flow of the life of God out of us because we believe that he does it. Yeah. That's walking in faith. Yeah. And that's, that is the same thing as abiding in Christ. All right. So... Let that therefore abide in you, which you have heard from the beginning. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you also shall continue in the Son and be, or pardon me, and in the Father. Now, he says, if that which you heard from the beginning, he is, he is now getting back to the idea that this truth that is taught here, in 1 John chapter 2 and 3 and 4, that this truth is, is the uh, inheritance of babes in Christ. It's the inheritance of the strong young men in Christ. And it is the inheritance of the fathers in Christ. In other words, 
just because we are not uh, uh, extremely schooled in all of the scriptures and can you know spout scripture and memorize have memorized scripture that does not separate us nor does that deny the fact that we have the Spirit. If we're babes in Christ, we have the Spirit. If we are young men, we have the Spirit. If we are, if we are fathers, we have the Spirit. And we can, even as a little child, just simply believe that as I remain associated in communion with Him by faith, that his life will manifest itself in me. That is eternal life. He is eternal life. He is my life. He is the motive of my life. He is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he reveals himself. And that's what we're about here in the earth, to make the, the person of Jesus Christ to be revealed to all of those who would look. All right. Verse 25. And this is the promise that he has promised us even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduced you. In other words, he's now talking again about the spirit of Antichrist. And the spirit of Antichrist, the, the Christendom today is filled to overflowing almost mm -hmm. with the spirit of Antichrist. And the truth is not taught, and men are being deceived and will be deceived. Mm -hmm. And therefore the wages of sin is death. It is not There is no excuse for any believer to remain in deception. Why? Because the Spirit of Christ abides in them if they're a believer. They can pick up a Bible and, and say to Lord Almighty in heaven, I need to know what this passage says. Spirit, I give you absolute charge to teach me. And, and it is going to be, one way or another, by the word of God, either you're going to hear it from a preacher or a teacher or a, another believer, or you're going to hear it in your own heart by the Holy Spirit when you open your Bible and you prayerfully and, and um, with great anticipation look at the Word and expect God to show you what it means. But nobody does that. Everybody just listens to whatever, the, you know, they sit soaking sour listening to a sermon a week and uh, if it makes them feel good, they say the, the preacher did a good job. Uh, they've been there. Uh, it's a seeker-friendly place, and they felt like they really fit in. And uh, there was no pressure on them or no idea that, that uh, when we come to Christ, 
And we're called a new creature that we ought to look like a new creature in the way we live. Mm -hmm. And and that's their attitude. Mm -hmm. And all things go. And if we love everybody, we accept every kind of sinner, every kind of false doctrine. Uh, If it makes us feel good, it must be right. And that is Christendom today. Now, there are places where the truth is taught. But I tell you that the spirit of Antichrist is working uh, in a way that is bringing deception in the church in an exponential fashion. Mm-hmm. And so John said these things, verse 26, Have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you? But the anointing, again, this is the unction. This is the the being, uh, uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit. This is uh, whosoever is joined unto the Lord is one spirit, truth. Uh, this is uh, the spirit truth that we find in Romans 8 where Paul says, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Well, every man who's in Christ has the spirit. He's sealed by the spirit. He is, he is taught by the spirit. He has capacity for everything that God would want him or her to know. And it's called an anointing. Uh, the idea of uh, the kings and priests of, of old were anointed with olive oil is the idea. The oil always represents the Holy Spirit. But the anointing which you have received of him, uh, of him abideth in you. That's not a question. Uh, that is a statement. The Spirit abides in you. That if you're saved, the Spirit abides in you. You need not that any man teach you. Because ultimately, God takes the Word and the Holy Spirit makes that Word alive in our new being. And our spirit comprehends it all because we are alive in our spirit but then our spirit teaches if you would our soul so that we can consider we can uh, uh, appreciate we can comprehend we can apprehend those truths that the Holy Ghost will make alive out of the Word and the reason it's alive is because it is the manifestation of the very person of Jesus Christ who said, I am the word of life. He is the word. The word is personified in Jesus Christ. And if I deal with the words of this book and work uh, to comprehend it by faith, that Truth will become alive in me, and that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is why the Word is so important. This is why generally I preach overtime, because 
this idea that, you know, all we can stand is 30 minutes of teaching every week is ridiculous. We are talking about life here. We are talking about eternal life. And it is worth more than a 30-minute uh, sermon on Sunday morning, half of which is some, uh, some discussion of uh, a sports figure or some discussion of uh, a social justice issue in the world. Have you noticed, I, I do not come in this time where there's so much upheaval in this earth and in this country. I do not come and talk to you in my sermon. Uh, 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 maybe up front I'll have something to say, but I do not come and preach to you about those things. Why? Because that's not what you need to know. You need to know the word. Mm -hmm. You don't. We don't need to be sitting here uh, saying, "Oh, isn't it terrible?" And the world's uh, going to hell in a handbasket, uh, and that you will not walk away edified. Mm -hmm. You will be edified and built up because the word of God is truth, and it is the person that will live in your life. All right, verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. <coughs> Pardon me. I hope I hope uh, when you heard verse twenty nine, you recognized one of these statements by John. That's that's uh, a kind of akin to what James said. He said, "Faith without works is dead." Uh, he said, "You show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works." And, uh, and Paul himself said, faith works by love. And so there is never such a thing in that, it, that it can be called true in the life of a Christian uh, of having faith and there not be the demonstration of that faith. Not possible. Just as living the life of Christ is not possible except by abiding in Him, mm -hmm. except by that surrender <coughs> in faith, that testimony that we are absolutely dependent upon God to, to, to uh, effervesce the life of Christ. We can't do that. We can't by will. We can't by, by knowledge that is human, we can't by reasoning bring the life of Christ to be demonstrated. We do it in one way. We do it by faith, and faith works by love. Mm -hmm. And none of us should ever forget that. So... You know 
verse 29, that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of God. And the converse of that is true, that everyone who is born of God doeth righteousness. And it works forward and reverse. Yeah. Now, I have a number of scriptures here. What I want to do now is I want to basically pose a question. And hopefully then I would like to to basically say the truth that is being taught here in John 2 and 3 and following. 1 John 2, 3 and following. The truth is not different than anything we taught in Romans. It is the same truth. It's just spoken of in another way. And this is, this is the absolutely solid conclusion that I've come to. Uh, the verses in 1 John, for example, uh, 1 John, as I used the example before, chapter 3, verse 6, says, Whosoever abideth in him does not sin. You see, we read that, and we think, gee, that, that doesn't quite sound right. Uh, because uh, John just said a little while ago, it says if we say we have no sin, uh, or if we say we have not sin, the truth's not in us. Uh, and so I don't think John in two chapters is uh, changing his mind about what he said uh, in chapter 1. But what he is saying is, I'm going to speak to you about life in Christ from the standpoint that... Uh, that you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. And all things are passed away and all things are become new. John in 1 John does not uh, parse his discussion of sanctification with uh, the questions of, well, what if I don't abide in Christ? Uh, He's already told us that the answer in, in uh, chapter 2 of John for sin, which means that we weren't abiding in Christ, the answer for sin is if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just forgives us our sins and cleanses us of all unrighteousness. But now he is going to speak in an absolute way about what the life of the one who abides in Christ looks like. How can it be described? And that's where all these absolutely pointed, concrete statements regarding uh, the, the righteousness of the walk of the one who abides in Christ, the one who is saved, the one who walks by faith. And we have we have been taught, and it is true, that what, we, what happened to us when we received Christ is that we, uh, first, our sins were forgiven, and uh, you know all those things that are positional, that are involved with knowing Christ, were given to us, justification and so on. 
we weren't enemies anymore. Uh, but what he did do, and I made such a point of this in Romans 6 particularly and other places, is that we have been freed from slavery to sin. Mm -hmm. yeah. We have been freed from the bondage of sin. And I, I'm going to tell you something. We, as Christians, often think about sin in terms of do's and don'ts. Yeah. And that's, that's really mm -hmm. dangerous. It is not the do's and don'ts. You know, you say, well, I, you know, I don't commit adultery. I haven't murdered anybody. Uh, I don't lie. Uh, no. Well, do you walk in, according to the Spirit? Do you exhibit as just the, the normal Christian life? Do you exhibit a walk? Of continually trusting in the Lord? You say, well, I'm free. Then I ask these questions. You're free from what? Are you free from selfishness? Are you free from willfulness? You know that willfulness that says, uh, you know, I could never do that are when you you come up against a temptation you say uh, you set your will against it and say I won't do that I won't do that I won't do that that's willfulness where you believe that you as a strong-minded person can overcome the pitfalls and the deceptions that come in front of you of walking uh, in this world as a child of God and you think that victory in that walk is simply a matter of making the decision that you won't do something or that you will do something either positive or negative it's going to be uh, I will avoid sin because I'm strong I'm going to say no just like uh, Rosalind Carter said just say no or you say, uh, I'm, uh, I'm going to, well, it's what we were going to avoid, and then it is what we we're going to do. I, t I told Alice, I, believe it or not, Alice and I were sitting up this morning at 5 o'clock and uh, talking about this, and uh, <clears throat> uh, oh my. Give me just a second. I got to collect my thought on what I said. It was about. Well, it'll come back to me. The question of willfulness is very important. Uh, we do not walk according simply to a decision and say, "Well, I see what is right to do." Therefore, I'll just set my mind to do it. And that is legalism. Mm -hmm. That is walking according to a man-made standard or a standard that, that God made, which would be the law of Moses, 
and say, I will do those things. That's what Israel said when Moses said, will you do these things? And they said, yes, we'll do them. But they didn't. But they, 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 they that's how they became self-righteous. Yeah. That's why there were Pharisees when Christ came uh, to call Israel to himself. All he found was uh, self-righteousness, particularly among the leaders. Willfulness, which is absolutely opposed uh, to faith. And so in Paul's writings, you'll find the term will worship. Uh, I think you find that in Colossians. Will worship is the idea that I'll just put my mind to doing the right thing. And uh, this is what is behind every question that, as a pastor, I have heard from a number of folks that will say, well, is it wrong to do this, or is it wrong to do that? And the, the true answer is, if you're looking at the walk in Christ from that standpoint, you are really on a bad path. Yeah. It's not a matter of what's right or wrong. It is a matter of whether or not the life of Christ is being exhibited in you. The life of Christ is alive in you. The life of Christ is what motivates every move that you make, whether or not you are constrained by the love of Christ. And if it's not that, it's willfulness. Are you free from fleshly desire? Are you free from lust? Am, am I free from uh, eating more than I need to eat? Am uh, Am I free from thoughts that basically have to do with selfishness? Or thoughts that have to do with uh, in, um, making myself to be worshipped by others in this world or admired? Are there thoughts of jealousy? Uh, am I free from that? Are you free from envy? Are you free from hate? And the answer is, the only way you will be is that you abide in Christ. And that will be true freedom. What I want to show you now is that this is what I have been teaching you from the beginning. Um, and so let's let's look just uh, you know if, if I went back in the Old Testament to the very first psalm, what do I find it says? It says, "Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly." Uh, nor sitteth in the way of sinners or walks in the way of sinners or sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of godly because he is like a tree planted by the rivers of living water. What on earth 
is the psalmist. That, that would be David who penned those words. What did David know? What did he know and why did he write such a psalm? Mm -hmm. Well, he's trying to say that uh, blessed is the man who, who does not walk as others walk in this world. But blessed is a man who walks according to the power of the Holy Ghost which is provided by Almighty God. And that is that he has planted, that he has driven his roots down into Christ through faith and through desire, desiring and following after the Lord and, and panting after him by delighting in him his roots have sunk deep yeah. into the life itself yeah. which uh, again is uh, is the the idea that we get in Romans 11 about uh, being grafted in to the tree which had its roots yeah. down into God into the roots mm -hmm. and the fatness of God that's that's the life of God that's coming up through that living plant that we're grafted into, which is uh, the promises of Abraham as the foundation of the faith of the whole nation of Israel, that we share in that. And that's what Romans 11 is about. Uh, if, I, if I turn to Romans 8, just, uh, just for a moment, and now we're talking about abiding in the Spirit. You know, we could go to John 15, which, where Christ said, I am the vine and you are the branches. He said, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. See, it's, it, this is what the Scripture says from one end to the other. Uh, it's not about some legal idea of setting your mind against sin. It is simply the release of the life of God in you, which is your inheritance in Christ Jesus. Because you are planted in Christ and He is planted in you. And so in Romans 8, 2, where we are so familiar, we read these words, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of sin and death. Well, what is my problem? My problem is that in the flesh, I carry around a principle of sin, which is always with me. But it must be overcome. And how is it overcome? It is overcome by the law, that which is always happens, when I believe in the work of Jesus Christ on my behalf, that I am dead, and I reckon myself dead, and then alive unto the Lord Jesus Christ, then the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus makes me free from the law of sin and death that abides in my body. Mm -hmm. Mm. It is with us. And it is our primary enemy. And what verse 2 of Romans chapter 8 says is no different from what John is saying in John 15 to abide in the vine or what John says in 1 John uh, chapter, uh, chapter 2 when he talks about the anointing 
which you have received of him, if, if it abides in you, you need not any man teach you. Mm -hmm. But as the same anointing teaches you of all things and is truth and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, you shall abide in him. And then when you get to verse 29, it says, If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. And where's that righteousness come from? It comes from the fact that by faith we are abiding in him. It's no different from the end of uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 13, uh, which uh, I, may, I may be off on that. That's a love chapter. Uh, but uh, 1 Corinthians 16, I believe, and also at the end of 13, it tells us that we look into the face of Jesus Christ. How do we do that? We do it by abiding in Him. And when we look into His face by faith, according to, and, and how is God revealed, and how is Christ revealed to us? In this Word. And as we look into the face of Christ in this word and, and by seeking God out of our heart, we look into the face of Christ and what happens? Well, it says we are changed. Mm -hmm. Into what? Mm -hmm. Into the same image from glory to glory. And that by the Spirit of God. So we find that uh, to give you an idea of how John is speaking to you as the what is the absolute truth of what it looks like to abide in Christ. I want to refer you back to uh, Romans seven, verse fifteen. Actually, it's fifteen through uh, twenty-one. Right. Yeah, no, 15 through 20. If I look at Romans 7, 15 through 20, what do I find Paul saying? I find Paul speaking in an absolute. He is talking here about his experience of dealing with sin in the flesh and that when he set his will to do the right thing, he always failed. Mm -hmm. My friends, I... I tell you, when I was a young Christian, I, I remember setting my will against things I knew were sin. And I failed. And, and how did I learn about my great need for something more than my own will to walk in a way that pleased God? I learned it because I failed. And every one of our failures ought to be the instruction that says to us, you must come to, as a way of life, walk according to faith and in the Spirit of the Lord and by abiding in the very person of Christ. And if you do that, it is no longer anything 
that is going to flow out of you because you willed it. It is going to flow because God promised that it would. And that is, means you are walking according to the promises of God. Yes. The promise is you believe, mm -hmm. and he therefore does a work. Yes. It's always the same. And that is how we abide. But that means that our minds are not going to be continually placed on those things that are of that which is just selfish or that which just pleases the flesh, those are things we must die to. Did Paul say anything like that? Yeah. Paul said, you know, in Jesus Christ, I am dead to the world. And then he said, the world is dead to me. And that is a matter of simply believing that when Christ died on that cross, I died with him. Yeah. And that I reckon myself dead. But if I'm dead, then automatically God says, okay, now I can live. Dave, you die first and I'll live. And that is the same as abiding. Now, in Romans 7, I want you to notice how Paul looked at his wilderness experience, starting in verse 7, or verse 15 of chapter 7 of Romans. Listen to this. This does not sound confused. <laughs> and, and he wasn't confused. He was telling you the way it is. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do, or that do I. Mm -hmm. If then I do that which I would not, I consent to the law that it is good. What, what, what's it good for? Well, it's good for making sin exceedingly sinful. And that's, that's basically what Paul's saying in verse 16. Mm -hmm. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. That's like one of the comedians that used to come on TV a number of years ago, and he would uh, his famous statement was always, "Well, the devil made me do it," uh, and that's what it sounds like here. But but this is really uh, true. Paul was finding out about sin in the flesh that every time we are not walking according to the Spirit, any time we are not abiding in Christ, you know what's going to show its ugly head? Mm -hmm. Sin in the flesh. And 90% of the time, particularly the, the undisciplined, uh, the, the, the Christian who is not experienced and that's according to Hebrews 5, is not experienced in the walk of righteousness. 90% of the time, when sin in the flesh shows himself, you won't know it. You will think, you will just automatically move into that sphere of, of experience and walk according to your own mind. And it's deceptive. It, it, it requires a 
experience in, in the Christian walk whereby you come to put no, and Paul said this, no confidence in the flesh whatsoever. That means the attitude of my mind as I walk through every day is I cannot trust in any goodness of my own. In my marriage and in the way I treat my wife or how I respond to the way she treats me, it cannot be just out of some power that I have or some sense of good or some sense of what it means to be a good husband. It must flow out of the very life that is in me who is Christ. And Alice and I, as we talked this morning early, as I said, it was about 5 o'clock in the morning, we were talking about how God had worked in both of our lives whereby our experience one to the other is almost, and, and I, this is, I'm bragging on God now. I'm not bragging on us. It, it is almost a storybook kind of thing. I mean, it is, it is, sweetheart, I, I love you. It is, it is, uh, oh, I'm sorry I said that. Uh, uh, I, I'd rather cut my own right arm off than hurt your feelings. It is a consideration for not myself, but consideration for that one. It is uh, the warm and tender and loving romance that that comes with the realization of what God meant when he made us one flesh. And it, it is from the Lord. And in that way, the Lord gave uh, one of his commandments when he said, Husbands, love your wives. And, and that, that requires walking according to the Spirit. That requires abiding in Christ. And, and likewise, in that same piece of Scripture in Ephesians, Paul said, wives, obey your husbands. And boy, maybe a lot of wives bristle when they hear that. Or a lot of uh, husbands uh, like to snicker and, and say, oh, see what God says. Uh, no. Uh, husbands who love their wives will do it by the very life of Christ in them and wives who obey their husbands will do it because it is Christ in them. It is not that if I do that I'm going to feel like I'm trampled on or I'm a servant. Uh, for one thing, uh, the selfishness went out with walking in the Spirit anyway. Uh, the idea of uh, self-aggrandizement went out. Uh, with walking according to the Spirit, with abiding in Christ. It is no longer I. This is not about me. It's about Christ. It is about giving God the glory that He deserves through our lives because we, our greatest fear becomes as we, as we walk through this world is that we will fail to abide and therefore we will bring the name of Christ uh, down, we'll drag it through the mud. He'll be evil spoken of because of the hypocrisy of our own lives. 
That's all about abiding in Christ. And as, as Paul looked at this, he saw that his problem was that there was a principle of sin in his life, and when he tried to do good, he couldn't. He was willful. He was, he was associating uh, Christianity with some kind of legalism. And then he said, verse 18, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me. Yes, my friend, you have the capacity to set your will to do that which you think pleases God. And I tell you, if you do, it's sin. If you do that, it's sin. No. Because in me dwelleth no good thing. The will is, is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. Why? It's not there. It's not allowed. The only goodness that is allowed to come out of your life has been ordained by God that it will be the life of Jesus Christ. And if it is some goodness you think that is your own, or that you have uh, managed to mature into, then it is, it is absolute and it's an absolute abomination before God. And the, the greater your goodness is, and the more you try to uh, use that to uh, uh, please God, the greater abomination it is. The higher the self-righteousness is, the, the more exercise of the will of, of, of the flesh You see, the Spirit never works the will of the flesh. The Spirit works the will of God. You don't have to think about it. You abide in Christ, and there it is. That is life. And so, Paul's learning about this. Verse 19, he says in chapter 7 of Romans, he says, For the, the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that which I would not, it is no more I that do it, but what? Sin that dwelleth in me. This is the problem. When you exert your will to do good and to, to obey God by strength of will, maybe it's the law you're looking at. Maybe it is some highfalutin idea you have about what it means to be a Christian. Are you going to try to love your enemy? Give it a try. Yeah. And see if you by strength of will can love one who is hurting you. Yeah. And the answer is, it is not possible. Because there is nothing in the flesh that can please God. And what, then, is Paul basically setting up a construct whereby he can get out from under responsibility for sin of the flesh? No. Paul is just telling us the devious manner in which the sin in the flesh works. That it overtakes us and we don't even know what it is. And the only 
the only means that we have whereby we can be free. You know, I talked about all these things that said, are you free from this or are you free from that? The only way you're going to be free from any of those is by abiding in Christ or walking by faith or putting your absolute desire to, to please God by doing what Romans 12, 1 and 2 said, by denying yourself and picking up your cross daily and following Christ, that means a walk in death, burial, and resurrection. Mm -hmm. There's no way that any of us are going to please God. No. But it is not hard. You know, it is really hard. Somebody, I think one of the, the men in inner fellowship might have been with me when a certain pastor said to me, Dave, what you teach is too hard. No, it's not hard. Number one, it's impossible for the flesh. You can't do this. But number two, it's absolutely without any effort at all. Because it simply requires faith. And if I have faith in what is in me, who is Christ, and he is my life, and I know that I am a new creature in Jesus Christ, I know that... Old things are passed away. All things become new. And that's, that's an absolute. That is my life. My life is never defined in the New Testament as a fallen life. I'm not described as a sinner. My life is looked at by God and is defined for me in the Scripture as being the very person of Christ himself. Therefore, I must abide in him. And all the works go out the window. All the effort. You want to go to Hebrews? You go to Hebrews and read about enter, entering into his rest? What's the definition of that in Hebrews? Well, the definition is right there. Entering into his rest means to cease from your own labors. And so those people that said to me, what you teach is too hard, had no idea what I taught. But I'm not so interested in that. I'm interested that you know what I taught. And that each of us come to apply it. And be able to say as we move through this world towards the point of where we will meet God and we will stand before Christ. And, and God would it be that we don't have to be ashamed when we do that. But as we walk through this world, we will grow into the fullness of the stature of the person because our experience and our, you know, the times when we failed, we came before God and confessed and agreed with God about that failure and he forgave us and he blessed us and he cleansed us from all unrighteousness and he picked us up and put us back on the right path. And he said, now, uh, go and sin no more. Well, what did I do, Lord? You didn't trust me. Eventually, even through the thickest of heads, that message can penetrate. 
And some of us require a lot of, of beating and shaking. Mm -hmm. And thank God for that. Yes. <laughs> but God is able. And this is possible. Mm -hmm. And it's not hard. Mm -hmm. It's the easiest thing. And after, after a time, it becomes automatic. You're not, I'm not walking around all day long saying, Lord, i got to abide in you. i got to abide in you. No, no, Lord, no. The Spirit, in a way, I could say, I just say, Spirit, you're on autopilot. Mm -hmm. This is your ship. Yeah. This is your, this is your life. Mm -hmm. I invite you to take charge of it in every way. Show me when I step out of that. You think God doesn't want to answer that prayer? You see, Paul is speaking here in absolute. And what he's trying to tell us is, he's trying to tell us you can't serve two masters. He's trying to tell us that the only way that God can be glorified with you is that, number one, you die. Number two, you give him charge of your life by faith. Mm. And you live that life where you are, where you really are, where it is the reality of your life. It is not an idea. It is not a doctrine of religion. You live in Christ if you are born again. Therefore, you can commit, as Paul did, your life to Christ. That's what he said, isn't it? I know whom I have believed in. I am persuaded that he is able to keep what? What I committed. What did I commit? I committed the rest of my life walking through this earth I committed that to you that means I took my hands off of it I said I can't do this but you Lord promised and I believe mm -hmm. and the, the proof of it is the spirit in me mm -hmm. the proof of it is that you showed me what I am mm -hmm. without you and the proof is you showed me what I am in you and you are in me. I have time maybe just for one more example. I ought to choose it well. But I'm just going to flip back one page to Romans chapter 6. Starting with verse 11. You've heard this a thousand times. But it's not the first part I want you to listen to really. It's the, the latter part. 11 through 18, Romans 6. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. What's the result of that? Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lusts thereof. This is what John's talking about. Let not sin reign in your mortal body. Why? 
Because you abide in Christ. That's the only way to let not sin reign in your mortal body. Not because you say no. It's because you say yes to Christ. That's right. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness but unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. I mean, is this all seem to fit together? And your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that whom you yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants you are whom you obey, whether of sin unto death, and what have I always said over and over, the ways of sin is death, my friend, don't walk in it. Mm -hmm. Whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto, unri unto righteousness. But God be thanked, that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Well, what was that? Being then made free from sin, you became servants of righteousness. Mm -hmm. How do I do that? Well, I abide in Christ. And I become the servant of righteousness. It's a matter of faith. Now some people may not want to abide in Christ. Some people may love their life in the world. You know, one of the prerequisites here that John told the fathers and the, the young men and the, and the babes was love not the world. Or anything that's in the world. For all that's in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And if you're going to love the world, and then at the same time attempt to abide in Christ, you got a big problem. It's, just, it's like repentance and faith. I can't turn to Christ unless I've turned from myself. That's the, the big idea of salvation by faith is that I, I, I know now that I can't save myself. I turn away from that. But I turn my eyes to my Savior and say, He saves me and I believe it. And there is always both sides of that transaction. We turn from our own imagination as to what will bring righteousness. We despise, and I, and I, I have lots of ammunition in Scripture to say this, I despise my, my natural life. I despise it. It's, it's, it is an abomination to God and it's become an abomination to me. Mm -hmm. It's 
like that time in Sunday school class when I told the group, I said, I hate my pride. I hate it. I despise it. Why? For one, it, it, it dishonors my heavenly Father, the one I love. The one I love because I know his love for me. And I love him back by the Spirit of God that he put in me. The love of God's been shed abroad in our hearts. And we love him back and I don't want to dishonor him. If you don't have that in you, you better get down before God and find it. You're concerned about the reputation of God. Why? Because he's my first love. You know, when you were a young boy and you are dating that pretty girl, one of your friends made an offhand remark. Well, you might give him a black eye. How much greater will be my zealous uh, affirmation that, that I expect my Lord to be honored? None of this is hard. It is simply a matter of faith. Now, I, I have written down here five or six other verses that basically say the same thing. Those That scripture that talks about uh, prove what the will of the Lord is. And then he says to you, uh, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's, a, that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about being filled. That means that the Spirit is in charge of our life. That's the same thing as abiding in Christ. It is all the same thing. Yes. If, I turn, uh, if I turn to the Scripture in Galatians, that, uh, and I'll make this our last one. If I turn to Galatians and I read that passage, that talks about the working of the Holy Spirit, that'd be Galatians, what, 5? What does it say? Verse 16, Galatians 5. This I say then, walk in the Spirit. What happens if you walk in the Spirit? Mm -hmm. Well, it says so right here. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Good, yay! <laughs> but the requisite for walking in the Spirit is that I am not walking in the flesh. Because you can't serve two masters. You can't walk in the Spirit and the flesh at the same time. You can't walk 30% in the Spirit and 70% in the flesh. Yeah. You're either going to be in the Spirit or you're not. Mm -hmm. And so Paul goes on and says... For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. What's that mean? That means that if you're walking according to the spirit, you cannot do what the flesh would normally lead you to do. And if you're walking in the, according to the flesh, you cannot do the things the Spirit would lead you to do. And so how can I worship God 
out of my flesh? And the answer is I can't. How can I please God out of my flesh? The answer is I can't. And so Christ said, the day comes, it wasn't here yet, but Pentecost has come, and the day comes when you shall worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And that's today. Yeah. And our lives ought be the demonstration of our continual worship of God. What did I want you to know here in 1 John? I wanted you to know that when John speaks about how we walk apart from sin, when John speaks about, and we're going to cover these things, when John speaks about loving the brethren, John is speaking in terms that's the absolute demonstration of the of the Abiding in Christ is that as we are abiding in Christ, our walk will be apart from all sin. John has already made it clear up front in 1 John. Yes, okay, he got it over with up front. Yeah, he did. He said, uh, if you say you haven't sinned, then you're not telling the truth. If you say you have no sin, you're not telling the truth. But if we confess our sins, so what John is saying up front in 1 John, he is saying, look guys, I know that you're going to have some sin in your life, and here's what you do about it. You confess it, you get it straightened out. And there ought to be enough said there about that. Uh, but John goes on, uh, to talk to us about abiding in Christ. And after he talks to us about that, then he begins to speak in absolute terms of what, for a Christian, abiding in Christ, how it is demonstrated in your life. And it's demonstrated by the absence of sin. In other words, as long as you're abiding, there's no sin. And so it just becomes a question, my friend, <clears throat> my walk in Christ, as I've said to you so many times, is one step at a time. And we string those steps together, and they become a life that has long periods beyond what most people think is possible, where we have not stumbled and fallen into sin, where we dishonored our Lord. And if that is not possible then this scripture, we ought to just put it on a shelf somewhere and never look at it again. Because that's what it teaches. It teaches it from one end of the scripture to the other. I want, the only thing I can do is, is pray that all of us will understand it. And that all of us will find the humility in our hearts to come before the Father and let him know that we want our hearts searched mm -hmm. and let him know how much, how so very much 
we want to glorify him in our lives. Mm-hmm. Dear God, mm-hmm. work that in us. Yes, is my prayer. Yes. Thank you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these who come today to listen. I see that there are some who are not here. It grieves me, Lord, because I, I feel this morning that there are some who are not here who could certainly benefit. But such is the way of it. I commit them all to you. Mm-hmm. But the ones that are here, Lord, may they be blessed. Not find this as as a as a message that weighs them down, mm-hmm. but it's a message that lifts us up. That this is normal. That's why the normal Christian life was written by Watchman Nee. He wanted to tell us that this is normal. That we abide in Christ. That's normal. And what it brings is unbelievable. But true. And so, Lord, make yourself known amongst us. And may we be found continually. May we be found waiting in Christ when he comes. May we have oil in our lamps. Yes, Lord. And may we love his appearing, even as a bride would wait for a groom. We wait, Lord Jesus, for you. These things we... We just thank you for the truth of it. We thank you for so great a salvation. Yes. Blessed be your name, for we pray in Jesus. Amen. Thank you all. I love you all.